I think we've had a lot of clients that at some point uh, in the depths of the process when it gets, you know, really difficult to answer any more questions, pull any more information, feel that the buyer is, you know, more of an adversary. But realistically, both parties are just trying to get through what needs to be done from a, an appropriate diligence and legal standpoint to to get to a transaction. And, you know, nothing is nothing is being said or done to kind of personally attack you or criticize the business you've built. Just keep that in mind and, and there will be significant uh, emotional, mental up and ups and downs, but, uh, you know, rely on your advisors and be patient is the best advice we can give. This is Pete Moore here at Halo Talks NYC. We are inside the Halo Academy with Vice President of Halo Advisors Integrity Square, Chris Jacob, and he is going to give us a little background on what it takes to sell your business to a financial buyer or to strategic buyer and the amount of work and information you need to provide in order to get a transaction closed. So Chris, welcome to the talk. Thank you for having me. So why don't you just give people a little background on your education and your uh, your transaction experience, and then we'll just go through a quick summary of what you do on behalf of clients and, and the level of detail it takes to get a transaction closed. Thanks. Uh, I grew up in Kansas uh, in my parents' retail businesses, and through that I had a lot of exposure to uh, what it means to run a small business that most of the listeners here are probably running. I went to Penn Wharton undergrad, graduated in 2006, and since that time I've been working in the transaction advisory business in various capacities. And for the past four years or so, I've been working with Pete at uh, Halo Advisors Integrity Square, covering the Halo industry and a variety of transactions, sale of businesses, acquisitions of businesses, raising capital, and have come to uh, develop some standard processes around these transactions that are similar in most and, and unique to some. Great, thanks. So just to start off, if, if there's someone who wants to sell their business, and let's just use a 10-club health club chain as a illustration here or example of moving into a phase of providing a sell-side auction process, typically what a company will do is they'll hire an investment banker. That investment banker will put together a confidential information memorandum, which will basically highlight all the different components of the business from the size of the clubs to the rent rate to the membership to the types of amenities segmentation competition industry landscape and then what we'll do is we'll put together the key performance indicators of that business we'll set up an auction process and go out to all the likely buyers of the business try and whittle that down to three to five potential buyers uh, have those buyers tour the clubs put in an indication of interest. Subsequent to that, a letter of intent. And then the buyer will dig into the data like a doctor's exam and trust that everything we put in the confidential information memorandum, also known as a SIM, is verified by lawyers and accountants and business people. So Chris, why don't you talk about once we get to that phase, what level of detail a seller needs to provide and some of the things you're looking at from a trend analysis during that process, which really either gets someone more excited about the business or potentially 
gets to a point where they have concerns about the business. Yeah, I think that running a process, if you're selling your company, raising capital is wholly unique in most people's experiences. It's something that involves a lot of pieces that outside of these processes, you really would have had no reason to ever do while running and growing your business. I think that the process generally moves from general to very specific, meaning as Pete noted up front, you'll be working with an advisor to develop a, a overview of the business that includes probably things you do look at every day, you know, financial metrics, key performance indicators, describing your employees, describing, you know, in this case, your clubs, moving through the process all the way to the end where you get into the absolute most specific information you have. So examples being at some point you're going to have to dig up and provide your vending machine leases and your copier leases and basically every document that has ever pertained to the company. So I think the process is one where two things happen. One, it's a essentially a full-time job during the process, but at the same time, management has to stay focused on running the business because regardless of how strong your business is, generally speaking, during this process, which can take three months to 18 months, you know, buyers want to see stable or, or positive trends. Um, and otherwise they're, you know, have concerns about what would be going on. So it is very complex. You have to go into it with kind of eyes open that at the executive level and the management level, everyone's going to have to focus on certain things and remain in communication and understand that there's a period to get to the finish line here that will be probably the most intense operational period that the business has experienced. And when you start going through this process and really getting your house in order, that means all the leases, all the lease amendments, all of your employment agreements, any liabilities that have shown up along the way, all your operating agreements, your shareholder agreements, all these things need to be in order because as you go through this process, if any of those are missing, it, it raises red flags on behalf of a potential buyer and creates a liability, which they then ascribe to reductions in purchase price. Most transactions are done as what's called asset purchase agreements. So they're not technically buying the liabilities of your company. But Chris, maybe you want to talk about, you know, some of the documents maybe on the, the shareholder agreements or lease amendments or, or anything that you see that typically, you know, people are, are searching for or, you know, create lags in the process that, that affect the momentum of a deal. Yeah, I think the, the major two aspects of a transaction process uh, in terms of diligence are financial, operational, and then, and then legal. And financial operational, there tends to be, depending on the size of your business and, and who you've hired over time to be an outside accounting advisor, whether it's an actual CFO type um, or somebody that's really just keeping QuickBooks, there tends to be a lot of cleanup work involved in that. They may not, you may them, you really have no purpose uh, until this transaction to keep the level of precise records and, and formatted and, and clearly stated. So that's one aspect on the legal side. Um, it's even more intense and, and really it does come down to every document that is an obligation of the business, a contract of the business, whether it's, you know, very material items like your leases all the way down to, as I noted, you know, leases on copiers, old agreements with employees, whatever it may be, has to be provided. And I think the thing that sellers and capital raisers have to keep in mind is I, I find there's generally an attitude of, you know, why is this important? And the standard of materiality is uh, is very high here. And I, I think that sellers have to keep in mind, what if you were the, the buyer? So if you're the seller, these things seem very routine and obvious and you've run your business for years. 
I'm not worrying about, you know, some of these contracts and, and obligations too much, but, you know, would you acquire a business not knowing the absolute details of, of every risk you might face? So I think people have to keep in mind as they basically have to dig up everything. And, and I would also note that, you know, most businesses have some kind of defect in this regard. They've not kept the best legal records or missing something, whatever, and, and all that can be worked through. But the thing that can't be worked through is just outright, you know, not disclosing something or finding something. So it is a painstaking, difficult process, but uh, it has to be done for a successful transaction where the buyer doesn't then come back on you for, you know, missing information. Yeah, uh, Chris brings up a good point, which are a term that's used in the documentation is representations and warranties. So I'm representing that everything that I give to you is accurate. I warrant that everything that's going on in the business, I tell you the truth about. There's a term called seller's knowledge, which is capitalized, capitalized S, capital A, which basically, capital K, (laughs) capital S, capital K, which basically says if I know a competitor is moving in across the street or I know that there's a lawsuit pending or if I know that, that a landlord is, is closing a strip center, all those things are, are knowledge that you have that you are obligated to tell the buyer of the business and have them calibrate that into their thinking. It's not a uh, don't ask, don't tell type of policy. You really are representing that you are true and accurate about what you know and what you are providing. And there's typically an escrow which is associated with the deal. So if I am buying a company for $100 million, I might take a 15 or 20% escrow, and, and Chris will explain what that escrow definition is and how that affects the transaction. Yeah, so an escrow is one of the forms of uh, buyers getting comfortable that what they're buying is what was represented. So the extreme of the case being that you sell your business for, as Pete said, $100 million, and then you disappear to an island off the grid, they come back, the buyer then finds out that realistically something you didn't disclose or, or something has gone wrong and, and there's a you know potential large liability there, which again would have to go through you know legal processes and arbitration and, and lawsuits. But if you owe them money, they have to have an easy way to access money that you haven't you know kind of run off with. So an escrow is usually established for a certain period with buyers wanting that to be as long and broad as possible. And obviously sellers and your advisors working to keep that as short as possible. And then um, at the end of the escrow period and during the escrow period, if there are claims that are verified that you do owe, they can be taken out of the escrow directly. And then at the end of the period, whether it's six months or a year, whatever it is, the remainder of the the funds are released to you. And in the meantime, they usually sit in a low interest bearing bank account so that, you know, nobody has access to them outside of a, uh, you know, confirmed claim uh, against the escrow. But it is important to, you know, note that most transactions include this. So when you're going through the, the sale process and you've heard a particular number and you start making plans for that for your own personal wealth planning, things like that, you, you likely will not have access to all of the funds for some period of time. And, and all these are negotiated based on either the letter of intent where it's stipulated what the escrow account is as a percentage of purchase price, there are times when a buyer will maybe get more concerned about certain items that they find as part of their diligence and they want to uh, mitigate some of that risk. Uh, so they'll, they'll ask for a larger escrow account. The other ways that, that deals are paid for is uh, by a seller note. A seller note is basically a, a piece of debt that is provided by the seller of the company to the buyer. 
typically below the bank debt and above the equity. Rates are anywhere between 6% to 10%, and they could be between two years and seven years in length. And it's basically another way for a buyer to finance a transaction as well as a way for them to have the seller root for the success of the business. So they make sure they get that seller note payment. Two other things to talk about. One is an earnout. If you want to talk about that, if there's questions about the growth of the business and the buyer and seller do not agree on the value of the business, that might be another way to solve for creating a successful transaction. You want to talk about some of the things you've seen on that? Yeah. So an earnout or other kind of related creative solutions are, you know, the smaller or kind of more unique your businesses, you're more likely to see some of these creative solutions because regardless of the amount of diligence, the buyer can only get so comfortable and, and you've been running it as a private company. There's, there's just a limited amount of information they can find even, even during this process. And, you know, the more that they can shift on, the business actually performing the way that they want, then, then the better. So an earnout, you know, can go one of two ways. It can either be part of the just kind of normal valuation, and and the buyer's just trying to get extra comfort that way, or oftentimes it can increase your net potential in terms of the sale above and beyond sort of a base valuation. But in either case, you are taking a risk, especially if you are no longer a manager or at all in control of the business that. The buyer will run the business successfully uh, and such that the earnout will be delivered to you. And so the structures there can be really quite varied, but usually it has a you know one year, two year, maybe longer targets, either in terms of revenue or profitability. And it's designed that you know if the business achieves those, then you receive a certain amount of additional payment at that time. Or you know, you can tier it so that if they meet 90% of that goal, you get a different amount. So you get into a lot of complexities and it really can be anything. So I think from the seller perspective, it's important to have a good advisor that really helps you understand what the full value is here to you over time. And you can have a combination of all these items and you kind of have to gauge what the likelihood of you know making the earnouts is, what the likelihood of the business being stable enough that you get your seller note, which is debt paid back, et cetera. So there's a lot of nuance that goes into here and rarely do we see many transactions that don't have some complication in how the purchase price is paid up. Yeah, and, and just for the listeners here, you know, selling your company, which is the biggest asset that you are likely ever going to sell, you know, recognize that this is a game. And in the game, there are ways that a buyer tries to extract value, and there are ways that sellers can extract value, and you hope to come to a, a fair transaction. You know, Leaving a little bit of money on the table is typically what you need to do in order to close a transaction unless you have the utmost leverage in an auction process and the buyer really needs to or wants to own your business. In a private transaction, another term that we'll throw out here that we'll explain further in the academy is a rollover equity. So if I buy your business um, for $100 million and I put in equity to own majority control, I might ask you to roll some of your proceeds out of the $100 million into the company and become a minority shareholder in the new business, which again, gives me comfort that you are investing either alongside of me or below me with a preferred stock and a common stock. And what a lot of private equity firms will use is that they're giving you the opportunity to get a second bite at the apple. So 
in closing here, this is a, a process that is an onerous process. It takes three to 18 months, depending on how good your data is, how motivated the buyers are, how long it takes your advisor to actually find a buyer for the business. There's way more people that want to sell their business than want to buy a business. So there's a lot of um, window shopping that goes on on deals. And you have to provide that information to pretty much everyone that is a potential buyer. If it's uh, someone that's a competitor, you, you probably want to code some of that data or maybe not provide everything in case they have reasons to look at your business without actually wanting to buy it, but to, to learn something. So fasten your seatbelt, make sure your, your house is in order and that you fully understand your business before you go to market. And uh, Chris, any other parting words for, uh, for people that are working on succession plans or looking to sell their company in the next three to five years? Yeah, I think in closing would be something you noted about this this being kind of a, a game and a negotiation. I, I think that sellers need to also keep in mind that you know they are obviously looking to sell their business, and the buyers are interested in buying. So, at a fundamental level, there is agreement on the goal in this process. I, I think we've had a lot of clients that, at some point uh, in the depths of the process, when it gets you know really difficult to answer any more questions, pull any more information, feel that the buyer is, you know, more of an adversary, but realistically both parties are just trying to get through what needs to be done from a, an appropriate diligence and legal standpoint to, to get to a transaction. And, you know, nothing is, nothing is being said or done to kind of personally attack you or criticize the business you've built, which is obviously very kind of emotionally tied up for most small business owners. So just keep that in mind and, and there will be, significant uh, emotional mental up and ups and downs but uh, you know rely on your advisors and be patient is the best advice we can give and uh, a phrase that someone told me a long time ago was if you build something of value when you want to sell it someone will pay you for the value that you have created so build your business methodically build it as if you would own it forever and uh, make the right decisions along the way there's a this is not a game of musical chairs so Think about it wisely, and when you're ready to sell, make sure you get a good lawyer, get a good banker, and fasten your seatbelt. So, Chris, thanks for the knowledge, and appreciate your in-depth experience in this category. Thank you. 